the orphan psalm. Actually, there are 48, approximately 48 psalms, approximately, in this book of psalms that we do not know the author for sure. This would happen to be one, we believe, Moses or David. Uh, What is the shortest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 117. What is the middle chapter of the Bible? Psalm, according to the what I've read, was Psalm 117 as well. But now you, I'll give you an answer. You, but you're right in the junior neighborhood, so you all get credit. <laughs> according to, to uh, but it's not only the shortest chapter, it's the central chapter. And who abides under the shadow of the Almighty? He that does what? Dwelleth in the secret place. Yes, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's your questions on the first of your page there. Uh, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall... Cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. The Lord is blessing to the reading of his word. Interesting snare of the fowler. I just saw yet this morning as I was pulling out to go to my computer class, there were two, you usually see one hawk at a time, there were two full-grown hawks about that close together in the same tree. It was quite a rare thing to see. I don't know if you watched the, the lines, or, but hawks are such beautiful birds. Anyway, there's two of them. A fowler is one who tries to catch wild birds. There's actually, I work with a guy who is a fowler he catches a hawk for the winter time trains him does hawking with him whatever you call it there and then lets him go and so uh, he hunts with hawks and that's how he hunts uh and just and so he really likes it it takes a lot of time and effort he says but he likes doing that we find then if you're following the outline his fortress he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty the psalmist now gives us four names for god elion shaddai Jehovah Elohim. What a great collection of names for God that he comes uh, up with for us here, or the Holy Spirit gives us, I'm sorry, be more accurate. I found this in the uh, Christian Theology, Biblical, Historical, and Systematic by Adam Harwood, a brand new book. I've hardly scratched the surface, but I found this interesting. In this chapter, we consider God's identity by affirming God as a personal and relational being, Surveying scripture on God's name and names, examining a key biblical text. Christian reflection on God's names can be traced to the early church, and here's why I'm reading this. A list of 187 divine names survived in a 7th century Byzantine collection of writings. The list begins with wisdom, word, son of God, and ends with intercessor, spirit, water of life. 187 names that refer to God in the Bible. So that's quite interesting, all the way back from the 600s A.D. So we have four for us. The first one is Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N, the Most High. We find in, it says, the scripture says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, it means really possession of the Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. That is the thought of a connection there. Daniel chapter 3.26, jot in there please. I had given you also Genesis 14.18-20 where Abraham met Melchizedek. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 3, verse 26. Daniel 3.26 says, 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. That is interesting. What, what, what he says, and that, so that is Elyon. He's the Most High God. That possession, uh, it is the hiding place of the psalmist. We have a God who owns everything. 36 times in the Bible, this name is used by God. Does that give us comfort when you think about that, that God owns everything? It, it does. I mean, it's not like, if, I, if you were to go to my cat food pen, my, my, my big cat food pen, you could very soon dig all the cat food out and throw it on the floor if you wanted to, and it'd be empty. There'd be nothing left. You can go to God and ask for anything, and it's just like, this, this, keeps, this fills right back up. His goodness and mercy are everlasting. There, there is no bottom to it. I remember uh, I was accused of as a, a teenager of having a stomach that's like a bottomless pit or a hollow leg. Just, you can just eat continually. And so I don't know how my mom to dad, I don't know how I'm going to keep these boys fed or something like that similar. God's mercies, it's like if you draw on that, well, he's going to run out. No, he's not. It is going to be, he is infinite in power. So that is the Elyon, the Most High God. And it says, under the shadow of the Almighty Shaddai, S-H-A-D-D-A-H-E-E, if you want a pronunciation, Shaddai. Uh, that's, that's what it means. It's 48 times in the Bible, all-powerful, the Almighty. We find that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, or Exodus 6-3. You can jot those down. Exodus 17, 1. I would like to read these verses to go along. God's name, 17.1. And when Abram was 90 years old, and the Lord, 99, sorry, 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared unto him, said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Almighty God. He, he biting under the shadow of the Almighty. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, which we have studied fairly recently, and here, even ourselves. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. So the psalmist here uses this word as well for our, our wonderful Savior, wonderful God, Jehovah. Some would say, well, it might be very well to know God owns everything, but what does that mean to me? Well, it means a lot. Well, two men were passing a bank in a big city, and one man said to the other, they put $5 million in cold cash in that bank yesterday. I watched the armored truck pull up and saw the money going in myself. The other man was not impressed at all because the first man had left off two very important words, $5 million for you in the bank. This, the Almighty God has it for us as I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He will provide all of our needs, Philippians 4.19 God is El Yon, the Most High God, in your outline there, top of bottom page one, uh, the, profess, the possessor of everything. He also is Shaddai. The thought behind that name embedded right into the Hebrew structure is that God is not just a living God, but a giving God. He is the one who supplies all of our needs. The thought that is provision. Thirdly is Jehovah, in chapter 91, verse 2. I will say of the Lord. Now, as soon as you see the capital L-O-R-D, what comes to your mind should come to your mind. That's the 
Jehovah, that is the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, we call it Jehovah, we put the vowels in there. That's the self-existing one. You cannot exist on your own. If God took his hand off the air, off our planet, off holding your body together, you would, you would what? We would just cease to exist. We would just die immediately. God didn't watch over us. We need someone. Matter of fact, we needed God to give us life. He is self-existing. He, is, he doesn't need anyone. He is self-existing. That's the self-existing one. The Jews stopped writing this name and speaking this name during the captivity. Now, when was the captivity for the Jewish people? Do you remember? 300 B.C.? Okay, a little further back than that. You're closer, a little further... Started, some believe, with the 605 B.C. when Daniel and his friends went into captivity and ended at 535. I was looking today, I saw the, the numbers of 598 to 538, which isn't even 70 years, 608 to 538. Easy thinking, easy for me, 605, they went into captivity, and, and, six, five, and 535, they're out. That's, that's 70 years. And so that during that time of captivity is when... Jews became known as Jews. Judaism started before that, prior to that time, Israelites. So they stopped saying that name. Question number one. Now, what is the psalmist on page two? What is the psalmist's response to verse one? Does he graciously accept the invitation? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God and him will I trust. Yes, he says, I want that. That's promised. So the Lord there is the greatest name for God among the Hebrew people. The capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. Jesus of the New Testament, Jehovah of the Old. So, oh, but there, people get so confused sometimes. Well, Jehovah in the Old Testament, and then, then there's Jesus. No, it's one and the same. He is God in the Old Testament. He's God in the New. He's God now. God was then. He is God at all times. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is eternal, self-existing, immutable, unchangeable. He is the one who does what he says. What he says he's going to do, he does those things. He's, so that's the word promise, provision, promise, possession. He needs nothing to exist. We only exist because of him. So he is the God who has pledged himself to do certain exceeding wonderful things for his own, he will not be thwarted by any demon in hell. We just have been confronted this past Sunday night, the Grammy Awards. We had two people who sang and did not have not seen it, but who sang and worshipped Satan on the worldwide stage. You see how far we have come as a nation. There wasn't. A, we should have a moral outrage for such atrocity. We should. We as Christians do. The world should have that. What, what are we doing worshiping? Satan. But, we have, he, but Satan will not prevail. No adversary. God, Christ is going to win. His kingdom will prevail. And how about that for a hiding place? We have El Yon. We have El Shaddai. We have Jehovah. Now, I'm going to take for just a moment a little side trail. Now, how many... So, tie together. How many cities of refuge were established in the Old Testament? No? Close. Six. There were 48 cities given to the Levites. Six of those were called the uh, cities of refuge. Now, question three, 
in your outline. What was their purpose? To protect the innocent. So Andrew and I are working, and some for some reason the axe head flies, flies off the handle of my axe, hits, just knocks Andrew for a loop, kills him. I immediately drop the axe handle, and I run as fast as I can to a city of refuge. Seth finds out about it. He becomes the Avenger. I am called the Slayer. Seth's the Avenger. Seth chases me. I run, run, run. Seth chases me. I run, run, run. It goes on. And of course, I can't run that long. But somehow, I make it to a city of refuge. Seth, the Avenger, comes and knocks on the door. I need to see Tim. He killed my brother. I think it was by nefarious means. They would take me then safely back to the city from where I fled. The people would adjudicate me to see if I am guilty or not. If I am guilty of mischievous murder, they're going to kill me. And matter of fact, Seth would kill me. If I'm pronounced as innocent, it was completely innocent, then they would take me back to the city of refuge. As long as I stayed in there, I was okay. But if I would travel outside that city, Seth could be waiting just outside the door. <laughs> I stayed in that city to how long? The high priest who was alive when they had the trial died. When he died, I could be free then to go back home. And that was a protection from the law. That was the the refuge for the individual who accidentally killed someone, and the slayer was protected. It was perhaps the Levites were very much impartial in their judging. That's why it was part of the Levites' Levitical uh, People, their towns, if you would. Uh, we find there, this is really a type of Christ. Question number four, compare the purpose of the cities of refuge with what we have in the Lord. We go to him as innocent. We're innocent of this, and he protects us. And, he, and then when the law comes along, he protects us from that. If we are innocent, we escape the condemnation of the law in the person of Christ. So, he, so when it says he is our refuge and our fortress, wow. He is our refuge. We go to him. We had the, the three cats, as you well know, and they're all doing fine, giving an update. But when they, when they first came along, we had the one hissy cat in, in her own room. And when we finally opened the door about a week later and let her out, the other cats would start chasing her, and she'd run back into that room that had her, her little cubicle in there because that was her safe space. When we had Darius and he was on his last leg, uh, and, and then the new cat would come along and the new cat wanted to play. He tormented Darius to no end, except for when Darius jumped on the coffee table in the living room, and that was sort of his safe space. Not always, but I, as my mind's eye, if I'm up here, then Ivan won't attack me. We have a safe space, far more important, in Christ. As we look to him, we... we, we Bring our needs, and he is our refuge and fortress. Refuge, according to Merriam-Webster, is a shelter or protection from danger or distress, a place that provides shelter or protection, something to which one has recourse in difficult and difficult times. Refuge then comes from a French word in your outline, meaning to flee, and in most cases, a refuge is a place to flee in order to get away from people or places that are unsafe. We have a worldwide example that over the last several months, the people of Ukraine have fled to other countries for refuge, a safe place. Or they have fled from the eastern part of the country to the western part of the Kentucky the country. The Funakoshi's church has had to leave Odessa because that was one of the towns that was bombed. And they're somewhere else now. They had to flee for refuge, a safe place. 
a building or another country and a, and a refuge from war, perhaps. Or a place of simple personal comfort I put in your outline like a friend's, a friend's couch. To take refuge is to find a safe place. You might take refuge under a bridge, etc., from a hailstorm. And that's what the effort, that word means there, a refuge in time of trouble. So he is the author, he's our, his Lord, and he's our, his refuge and fortress. He avails himself then to the refuge of one who is forced to fly. It's a quiet retreat from a pursuing enemy to find that refuge. And the psalmist does that. The Hebrew word for fortress is also rendered elsewhere in the scripture. The Hebrew word is hold, snare, stronghold, castle, net, strong place, hunted, stronghold, fort, defense. So that same Hebrew word is translated different ways, but here it is fortress. And now, a refuge. Now we have this word fortress coming on. We've had refuge. Fortress is a little bit more involved. The idea has changed now from that peaceful hiding place to a tower of defense. So not only is Jesus his refuge that he goes in for the quiet, quiet time of getting away from the enemy, this is one of defense, a manifested defense, ready to meet attacks of the enemy, ready to resist them all. We find in it, it, uh, it that this word means a fortified place, a fort, a castle, a stronghold, a place of defense. Now, question five, the difference between a fortress or a fort and a castle. What would you think would be the difference between a castle on one side, fortress on the other? Exactly. This is, this is warm-minded. Over here, the castle, yes, but it's also a living space. And so I would love to go to Europe and go through some of those big castles there. But the castles were for a living space. Uh, people today, I guess, I'm sure there are people who live in castles. But the fortress was, a, was really a defensive mechanism, a military purposes. So he is the refuge and fortress. In verse 2, I will say of the Lord Jehovah, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. And that is the fourth word, Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, meaning power. The first, where is the first time we find this word? In the beginning, God. That's the first time we find it. And we also find it in, De- in Deuter- the, Lord thy- the Lord thy God is one. We should probably read that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I probably should have it memorized, but we will go ahead and much rather read it and get it exactly right. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Elohim is one Lord. Now, why is that so surprising? Is because Elohim is a plural. Uniplural. One, but more than one. That's why it has a singular verb. Plural, but with a singular verb. Now, if I were to say, we is going to Iceland, you say, well, that's wrong. That's wrong grammar because you're going, not we. would be poor English. We is, because, but, but God can say that. God can say because he, he's more than one. The word Elohim is a uniplural, one but more than one. And in, in a regular, in a, the singular would simply not be full enough to convey all that is meant. See, God can say we is because he exists in three persons. He can say that. Elohim occurs 2,700 times in the Bible. So it's well used. He's one Lord. With, again, not normally grammatically correct, but we in this case it is. Uh, it, it sort of goes against our ears to have say that, that God's is, because plural noun, singular verb. But now we say that, for example, we say the United States of America is 
Although there's 50, we still use a singular verb with that. The United States are going to war. No, you'd say the United States is going to war. Elohim's a plurality of one because since it's singular, it calls for a singular verb. So that's so important. You may just, I know it's maybe hard to grasp, but we have one God, three people. So it's one, but more than one, and that is Elohim. That's what that word means. Not singular. We have no problem saying or hearing that the United States is bordered in the north by Canada or the United States is in the northern hemisphere or the United States delivered a sharp memo to China, Russia, Cuba, Iran. Iran. What we always speak of the United States in singular, we speak of it as a composite of many. So, in the beginning, God created. From that very beginning, we find the Elohim one but more than one. Seven. If you refuse, question seven, to trust in God, in what or whom are you then you're placing your trust? The self, the world, your fortune, your retirement? Spurgeon says, it is most meet fitting that we should say, in him will I trust, since to deny faith to such a one were willful wickedness and wanton insult. So when we say we're going to trust in our own provision, or our own monetary system, or our own cleverness, we are ignoring the God who actually created us. Willful wickedness, wanton insult. So possession, provision, promise, and power. So when he says these words to us, he's going to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Look at the last few verses, 14. It says for us, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'm thinking he made a good choice to choose God as his fortress. Three is the foes. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. Now, there are two sources here. There's a person and a pestilence. The fowler, then, of course, is a trapper of birds, one who hunts wild uh, birds, fowl, etc. Think about the similarities with Satan and fowlers. The devil and his agents, they work as a fowler works. Uh, They work in secret. They work to trap people and use their methods. They often entice people with pleasure or profit, and they often use a bad example or a decoy. So the devil has a lot going on with, like does a fowler. does not mean that those who trust God never have infectious diseases or never suffer from an enemy's plot. It means that those who trust God are habitually delivered from such dangers as boys. What Christian cannot testify to many such deliverances? Has God delivered you from dangers? Absolutely, yes. You may not even be aware of some of the ones that he has delivered you from. Spurgeon says, Assuredly, no subtle plot shall succeed against one in your outline who has the eyes of God watching for his defense. We are foolish and weak as poor little birds and are very apt to be lured to our destruction by cunning foes. But if we dwell near to God, he will see to it the most skillful deceiver shall not entrap us. The poet said, Satan the fowler who betrays unguarded souls a thousand ways. There was a man named Father Chiniqui. I'll pronounce it that way. Not sure it's exactly how to pronounce his name. But he lived in the 1800s and he withdrew from the Roman Catholic Church. Because he did that, he, 23 times, he was stoned publicly. 
often by furious mobs intent on killing him. When his enemies saw that it was hard for them to kill this guy, they tried to ruin his character. He left the church and became a Christian, a Protestant Christian. For much of his 18 years, they kept him in the hands of sheriffs, under bail, a prisoner, awaiting suits brought against him by his enemies. He swore the most outrageous lies against him 32 times. His name was called before the magistrates of Illinois and French Canada. No less than 72 false witnesses were brought forward by his former colleagues to support their false accusations. But he wrote, but God be thanked. Every time from the lips of the perjured witnesses, we got the proof that they were swearing falsely as the instigation of their confessors. Matter of fact, he was, uh, he was, had a lawyer named Abraham Lincoln who represented him in Illinois, uh, one, at one point in time. But he wrote later on that he had trusted the Lord and he, the snare of the foul, as many times as they tried to snare him, he, the Lord watched over him through all of those things. We're in a wicked world. Its forces of wickedness are led by the father of lies. We never know from moment to moment the snares that are being set for our feet. We have a God who can deliver us, says Phillips, from the snare of the fowler. If we trust him, he will keep us. It was during a London plague that a man named Lord Craven, who was a Christian, this is the 15th century, the plague was and pestilence was spreading out across London, and he was packing his bags to go to the country home to avoid the plague. And he's walking out, and he heard a servant say, I suppose that my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague, that his God lives in the country and not in the town. It cut him so deeply, this innocent remark, it cut him so deeply, he canceled his journey, stayed in town saying, my God lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will stay where I am. Put his bags and stayed. And he stayed in London and helped the plague victims and never once got sick himself. His God was the God of town and country. The psalmist said, as for me, my feet had well nigh slipped. The traps were everywhere. Noisome meaning noise, perilous and deadly. In your outline, says Henry Morris, noisome pestilence. A word that signifies to speak or speak out. The pestilence is a speaking thing. It proclaims the wrath of God among the people. The Hebrew word signifies then to destroy, to cut off, and hence may the plague or pestilence have a name. The Septuagint renders it with a word meaning death. For ordinary, ordinarily it does mean death. Now we think of pestilence like perhaps a lot of mosquitoes. This is far more than that. This is a pestilence, perhaps even to bring death. So that was the fortress, that was the foes, and we will stop right there, faith, next time, and go forward with chapter 91, verse 4. Aren't you glad those first couple of verses, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. And that word abide, we're going to talk about Sunday in John 15. That's what we've got to do. We've got to abide in his word. And may we be doing that. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful psalm. Lord, the words, just the names of yourself that we talked about tonight. Elion, the Most High God, the God Almighty, El Shaddai, Jehovah, Lord, and then Elohim, God. And Lord, just thank you that you are all these things and so much more. Lord, it's very easy to encapsulate who I am in, in one name. That's because I just, I just, there's just not a lot of work with there. But Lord, with you, you are infinite. And so all these wonderful names help us to learn and know a more, a little bit of aspect about who you are. Go with us now. 
be with those who are ill and firm, those who are away from us, keep them safe, bring us back again Sunday to hear from you and ask all these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.